It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to Passionate World Talk Radio. Educate, enlighten, entertain. And this morning on Cool Your Heels with Lillian Caldwell, our special guest is Vicki Benjamin, who is concerned about animals and their welfare, and her company is Carner Blue Capital. Good morning, Vicki. How are you this morning? I'm great, considering it's a Monday morning, Lillian. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners, um, and I'm very excited to share our message. Oh, terrific. So why don't you start out by introducing your company since it's only three years old and what it does, and then why it's so important that people sit up and take a listen. Thank you. Uh, I will do that. Um, Carter Blue Capital started about three years ago. My name, again, is Vicki Benjamin. I am an investment management professional. I come out of the world of socially responsible investing. I was the former Chief Operating Officer of Calvert Investments. And three years ago, when the assets of Calvert were sold, I was at a crossroads in my career, and I looked around at the landscape of socially responsible investing, and that's really investing with your values. And I saw many funds or products devoted to gender lens, fossil fuel-free, fair trade, and I saw nothing related to or directed at socially responsible investing for the welfare of animals. And let me explain to you what that means. Socially responsible investing is about using your dollars to affect the behavior of corporations. So through investment dollars, you reward companies by investing in the good ones, and you use your situation as an investor to be able to affect their behavior by advocating for those that lag behind in policies. So again, about three years ago, I looked around at the landscape and I said, geez, one out of every three people has an affinity and our affection, maybe even more, towards animals and would want to do more. And this is an opportunity to help animals through the capital markets. And so myself and my partner, Andrew Niebler, embarked on this wondrous journey. That sounds terrific. I don't think people ever really give a thought to animals. They do maybe for their pets and possibly more towards dogs than they do for cats or parakeets. But I don't think unless uh, widows who are wealthy leave their estate to a, a, a pet, I don't think people really concern themselves with the welfare of animals. I think that might have, okay, so we care about and emotionalize those things we directly interact with. So our pets are are animals that we touch and feel. More and more agriculture has distanced humans, would be the farm from the plate. So we don't really have transparency into farm animals as much as we could. And I often think lab animals are the most neglected animals on the planet because no one really 
has transparency into what labs, what kind of animals they deal with. It's mostly mice, 99% of it, but for the rest that aren't, we hear about those cases, but they still really are not ingrained in our lives. And then animal, uh, wild animals are even a little bit more distant. So the point, our, our focus at Carner Blue Capital is saying, well, we're, we're going to inv in educate our investors to see that there's more animals that you're involved with than you realize. So there are animals in captivity that you directly impact. So like we said, animals in agriculture, our drugs are tested on animals in science. And then all of those corporations, and through our consumerism, we affect those corporations that deal with animals in the wild. And that would be, for instance, textiles and apparel, our clothing grown in cotton or, or leather products, um, food, fossil fuels, where we extract energy from the ground and disrupt animal habitats. Also, you have paper products. Um, and then another leading uh, industry that affects the livelihoods and, and the habitats of animals would be metals and mining. And a lot of people don't see how their products that they buy every day affect the lives of animals, countless animals. Well, I think our civilization, if you pay attention to the news reports going on in South America or mm -hmm. even in Africa or some of the yes. Asian countries, they're complaining about the fact that homes and farming lands, they're going into the habitats of these animals. And then they don't understand why these animals are coming into their gardens, going into their swimming pools, or going into their garages or even their homes, and attacking them. And mm -hmm. these people are resentful that these animals have, well, the nerve, if you want to put it that way, Mm -hmm. to react in this in this way. But the fact of the matter is is that we are going into areas that we really have no business taking their land or forest right. away from them. So, well, that's the problem when you're going from 7 billion people to 9 billion people. Yes. Um, and now you're seeing this pandemic is a direct result of animal and human contact, and mostly due to what you just spoke of, which is deforestation. So 80% of animal extinctions are due to habitat destruction, and most of that is due to deforestation in high tropical environments like the Amazon rainforest. So, how, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, how do you educate people? Do you take a good look around at the products that they take for granted? and to remind them what cost that they're doing to the animal kingdom while buying these products that they think they have to have. So well, let's just um, step back for one minute. This pandemic was caused by human-animal con conflict, right? So 70% right. of diseases are zoonotic, meaning they transfer from animals to humans. And when you think about the animal-human conflict, you touched upon the primary one is deforestation, and then we also have hunting, a.k.a. poaching, and then we also have trafficking. And we so, have that fishing industry that has been made immortal on TV, and I yeah. hate it. <laughs> I'm not, 
I'm not even going to delve into Okay. Into no, I'm sorry. I just, I, it gets I, me I, so I, I'm angry. I'm very focused on deforestation and in this case, in, in COVID-19 hunting. And so when you think about it, they, folks went in, it's, a, it's quite a cycle. So folks went in and hunted wild animals. These wild animals are brought back in cages, highly stressed with viruses that may or may not have been exposed to humans previously. Um, and the, they're not certain, even with COVID-19 right, right now, whether the reservoir was a bat that was captured and then was sitting on either a pangolin, which is endangered, as you know, or another animal, and that animal contracted the virus, or whether the virus went directly to humans from a bat. But we do know, or we with 90% certainty, that this virus originated in a bat at some time, and that was the original reservoir. So if you think about it, here we are trapping these wild animals. They're completely stressed, so they shake off, if you would, pathogens. And those pathogens come out in the form of saliva or their, or blood. And in these wet markets, it was just a mixing bowl of, of toxins that were transported to human beings. So when you ask me how do people, how do we educate people? Well, COVID-19 is educating people. I read this morning that 200,000 articles have already been written about COVID-19, its impacts, and its sources to what is believed now to be wildlife, although there is a conflicting story that it also might have come out of a lab, but again, even in the lab scenario, it originated with bats. So humans now are, if they hadn't before, Lillian, they're taking notice and they're saying, wait a minute, what are we doing with nature? And how are we interacting with nature that's causing what now could be the uh, the third great pandemic? And um, I think that that is educating the investors. That's jump-starting the conversation. And now it's up to folks like me and other organizations, uh, animal welfare organizations, to go out and spread the word and educate people. I think that you should start with the kids because the kids have more. They're not been... They don't. They have not put up walls yet. They haven't developed the love for the almighty dollar yet. They haven't really done. I mean, they have material things, but they're not so dependent on them that they'll go ballistic if they don't get them. They're more flexible. But don't you think, Lillian, that us all being quarantined? And I was thinking about this morning. This morning, you know, without you know, getting our nails done, for instance, we're learning to live differently and thinking more, maybe. Um, I know folks are still a lot on their phones and, and um, et cetera, but I think this experience, at least for me and my children, has um, given us a greater appreciation of our freedoms and maybe some of the more meaningful things in life. I think that for most Americans, this is a wake-up call. When I was in my 20s, much to the dismay of my parents, I lived off the land for four years. So I did without electricity, I did without plumbing, I did without a car, and I lived a very basic, simple life. It's hard work for the women because you're really on call 24-7. However, after I left the land, I had a greater appreciation for what I really needed 100%. Mm -hmm. 
and developed. I think it would be nice, but we don't have to have it syndrome. And that's pretty much the way I brought up my kid. Now, my kid's very successful and very wealthy and all that other garbage, and he doesn't quite live by the same principle. However, I know that with this pandemic, it has brought people up short. And the ones who really like to question things to start out with are beginning to ask themselves, do I really need it? Or is it would be nice to have? And I think that's the part of the education that needs to get across to people. Do you really need it? Or can you substitute something else in its place? I, I 100% agree. When I came down here to do, uh, I'm in Bethesda, Maryland, to help turn around and run Calvert, I had was leaving Boston, a job as a big four partner, and um, had a large house, a car, a parking spot downtown, et cetera. And I came down here, and I I really immersed myself in living responsibly, I guess. So I I got an apartment, small, near work. I got rid of my car. I walk everywhere. And it was very freeing, um, especially given that I didn't have monthly payments. But secondarily, it was very freeing because I wasn't bogged down by material things. I um, I, I started reading a lot and really contemplating at this point, I'm in my 50s, contemplating where I wanted to go and what was important. And I think you're exactly right. People are now, with this pandemic, having the opportunity to do just that, stop and say, wait a minute, what's important? I mean, my youngest, my youngest, my grandson says to me, I really like learning at home, Grandma. I said, don't you miss your friends? And he said, well, I can visit them anytime, but to stay at home and be schooled at home, he says, I really don't want to go back to public school. And I said, well, you better take that up with your father and mother. I I just listen. But (laughs) I, I think I know what he's saying. He's able to really concentrate on the topics that interest him the most. And while he'll concentrate on the other things, he'll have unlimited time to be immersed in what he really considers important to him. Well, lucky for my son, his his son considers science and how things are made a top priority. I mean, he That's spends great. hours on the Discover Channel learning how to make things and to do things. So I, you know, not every kid is like that, but he is. So for him, he's profiting more by not being driven to school and picked up every day but doing it at home and then doing other things at home that he needs to learn as a responsible citizen anyway. And so I think you'll find that there's two types of people. Those that will take this pandemic and time at home to make it a learning experience and they'll actually work more. And then, and because you don't have the commute time, you can actually have full 40, 45 hours or whatever you want to work. And then there's other people that were that will not do that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the work ethic looks like when we come out of this, and we as we seem to be emerging out of this. But I really hope that as a result of this, that people take a hard look at their consumer behaviors and their their impacts on the world and uh, biodiversity, especially. How would you be able to stop the trafficking 
of exotic animals. So that's, well, okay. Um, that's, that's, as every issue has, it has different stakeholders. So you have the person that buys the trafficked animals. You have the poacher that finds the trafficked animals. So, and then you find the transport mechanisms that take that animal from point A, the poacher, to the end consumer. So with Carnablue Capital, we haven't really spoken of it, but our animal strategies, our animal-focused strategies, have actually companies that actually help eliminate illegal animal trafficking. So, for instance, uh, some of our companies, Microsoft and Google, use algorithms and lexicons on their search engines to ferret out those folks that are trying to traffic illegal wildlife, use, if you can imagine, using Internet, or those folks that are seeking trafficked wildlife using their search engines. And Cisco has monitoring mechanisms, for instance, that try to prevent poaching by evaluating, like for instance, where rhinos are and trying to pick up on poachers. So you have this collaboration of two companies, multiple, many companies, I'm just giving you an example, that are trying to prohibit the trafficking of wildlife. But of course, most of this can be helpfully, uh, the, the best prevention is governmental regulation. And so, as you may or may not be familiar, last spring, Botswana lifted its trophy hunting ban on elephants. And because of the reason when you started out the show on elephants, are now there's a lot of elephants. There's more elephants there than anywhere else in the world. And they're actually becoming problematic for villagers because they're trampling through their village. Yeah, a and, lot of villages shouldn't be there. And they, that's right. And they don't know what to do with them. And we um, at uh, Carner Blue Capital and our sister organization, Carner Blue Center for Humane Economy, we called 800, tourist, or 800 tourism agencies and encouraged them not to go to Botswana. And now we're de dealing with the government. We talked to the ambassador of Botswana. We really want to see that ban put in place. And then we have to find a, where to put those animals, right? So it, it's really a group of stakeholders. You have to look at companies working together with consumers, working together with governments to stop the problems between and the conflicts that develop between wildlife and humans. Absolutely. Like I muttered before, those villagers shouldn't be there because the, that's the walk the walking ground that those elephants have used for centuries. Right. But again, population explosion, we're encroaching on animal habitats. Um, there's responsible ways of doing things, Lillian. And as you're seeing with climate change, the way the, the innovation is coming out of individuals and corporations. And the private markets really know how to to solve problems and they can do that and we need and that's my job is to look for those companies for clients to invest in. I think that's a great idea and I also think you can probably do it by finding other people, you know, the peons as they call them, who would be interested in forming uh, an investment company of their own. They've done it with stocks where a group of grandmothers get together and they get the knowledge and they invest 
and they do very, very well. And I can't see why you can't do the same thing with the main idea, meaning that they have the the knowledge and the information that they need where they can form a company to protect these animals and then, you know, invest by whatever they can bring money in. Well, we actually launched the first um, animal welfare impact product. It's a mutual fund, Corner Blue Capital, launched in September. It's called the Corner Blue Animal Impact Fund. Uh, and it is the culmination of three years of animal welfare research. In we have selected those companies that are leaders in all of their industries uh, that impact animals, and they are all collectively put into a vehicle for folks to invest in in the retail community. And uh, we're really excited about it. It's still quite nascent at six months old, but doing well despite um, the economic outlook and the conditions. Well, I think you ought to make that a little more public knowledge so people can get more interested in something like that because I really believe it's the many that are going to be able to help solve the problems with animals rather than the collective, you know, wealthy or the one. I find that a team type where you get a lot of people who invest who are the same mind about how to protect animals is your best bet. Oh, thank you. Um, and, and look what's happening with the foster animals and the animals in shelters. They're getting adopted at unbelievable rates. Hopefully that, hopefully those animals will stay in place after this is over. But if I can bring the message to about the wild animals and the animals in farming and the animals in science to the populace and let them see that you can change your behaviors and your consumer behavior, just be more educated about your choices, and you can help those animals like you've helped the, your domestic pets. Absolutely. Okay. I think that it really needs to be put to them almost on a daily basis for people to realize that it's not just this time around that they should do it, but it's something that they need to do on a daily basis just as well. Even with their behavior when they brush their teeth twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. Absolutely, and um, virtually everything, Lillian, you touch has impacted an animal in most cases, almost all cases, negatively. So let me just say that, for instance, you get in a car, um, you have leather seats. If you go into a Tesla, though, the whole car, there is not a piece of leather now. They used to, they used to not be, had, couldn't perfect the wheel, um, the steering wheel component, but now they've even made that vegan. So there isn't even an opportunity in a Tesla car to have have affected negatively an animal. So I think that consumers are getting it. Uh, I think they're noticing it. And the evolution is slow, but I think that it may be, um, as we can see, the pets are getting out of the cages. Maybe we'll see, I'm hopeful that we're going to see a change for the wild animals and the animals in agriculture and science. And I'm hoping that's also true for the marine animals because a lot of people buy kill sharks. They just want the shark fins for soup, and then they discard the rest of the animal. Really? And we're, wor- we're working on um, passing legislation about shark fin soup and shark fins. Uh, with, we have another sister organization, Animal Wellness Action, that works with is largely composed of donors um, and volunteers, but we they work lobbying up on the hill. Um, and that's one reason we're located in Bethesda, close to D.C., 
we're working to pass regulations. Well, I am really glad to hear that because I really get tired, not tired, I get sickened when I see these fishermen going out and blithely catching anything that's around there, not realizing, well, and may not be replicating itself. So what are you going to do when there's nothing left? That's, uh... I mean, there are already huge sections of the ocean where nothing lives, folks. They call it the empty ocean. And they'll tell you where these patches are. You well, want we, the whole ocean like that? So um, we are hoping to work on a marine ecology fund that deals with that. Of course, the big issue being plastic. Yes. We focused our first product on land animals just because it would be dilutive to try to bring marine animals and seafood into this product. But um, we have, like I said, 12 research people that um, are all focused on animal issues, and, and it's not just exclusive to land um, our next product probably will be outside of our conservation product, uh, a marine ecology product focused on wildlife in the seas. And um, when you hear about, I had bet when we were looking at this, I had heard stories about the whales and the effects of cruise ships on whales. Oh, yes. And, uh, Not to mention just, the junk that they eat and get in there oh in their God. stomach. It was, it was horrific. So there's a lot of considerations that's going into the oceans. And the ocean, you know, when you take a breath, 50% of that clean oxygen is due to the oceans and the sequestration of carbon dioxide. So um, we need to be protecting the oceans as well. Absolutely. All that methane gas down on the ocean bottom, yes, it's there. It just bubbles away. You don't want the ocean to become dried. No. Because then we really would have problems, folks. Same thing with the Arctic and the methane under the Arctic. Yes. Uh, uh, It's very interesting. Ecology is a wonderful subject because it pretty much shakes hands with the rest of us every single day. Well, the world is interconnected, and and I think we're learning it more and more now. And um, because of globalization, what was a outbreak of COVID-19 in Wuhan, China, if it hadn't been for globalization and, and air travel, we probably we might not have seen it in a rather in a very short time in the U.S. And that's the same thing that happened with SARS back in 2009. So um, this uh, we are all interconnected and we're interconnected with the animals and the nature that surrounds us. Absolutely. So, Vicki, please tell everybody where our, the listeners can find you on the World Wide Web contact information, the whole nine yards. You can find me, uh, Vicki Benjamin, at carnerbluecapital.com. Alternatively, you can look up the Carner Blue Animal Impact Fund on the World Wide Web, and um, you can reach out to me on our contact page, and I would be more than happy to respond to any of your questions or any thoughts or feedback you have about how I can better help the animals. I'm devoting the rest of my life to this, and um, I so appreciate, Lillian, you giving me the opportunity to talk about the mission and the importance of our treatment of animals. Anytime. Ladies and gentlemen and adults of all ages, you can listen to this interview all over again at https colon forward slash forward slash passionateworldtalkradio.com. Menu right-hand side. Scroll down to 
Who Your Hills? Click on it and you will find it. For those who are digitally challenged, we have a sizzle line, i.e. phone line. Punch in the numbers and you'll hear the interview start immediately. You can also hear it on iTunes, iHeart, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Podchaser, Apple, Google, and A-L-E-X-A. Just ask to hear who your heels, and A-L-E-X-A will get it for you. Somebody's already tried it, and they tell me it works beautifully. And before you go away and stray, John Norris had this to say in 1691, there are infinitely more ideas impressed on our minds than we can possibly attend to or perceive. Thank you all very much for listening, and until next time, stay healthy. Are you looking for an Internet talk radio station for your podcast? Look no further. At the helm of Passionate World Talk Radio are two women that want to provide a spot for you and your podcast to be heard. There are many other places for your podcast, but PWTR has the audience. You will not be disappointed. Our station has been on the Internet for the past 16 years. Call us for more information, 484 364-1032 or text Jeannie White, station manager at T-H-E-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-S-H-O-W at gmail.com for a podcast show details. Thank you for listening to Passionate World Talk Radio. You can listen to this program all over again by going over to https colon forward slash forward slash passionate world talk radio dot com. You can also hear it on Spotify, Spreaker, Amazon A L E X A, AMFM two four seven dot com every Tuesday evening between eight and nine PM. YouTube Facebook, Facebook Live, LinkedIn, and all the other podcast directories one can find on the Internet.